fire rescue, EMS, law enforcement. These are the three components of public safety, and those who answer the call are the first responders. Welcome to another episode of Five Alarm Task Force, news and issues for today's first responders with your host, Steve Green. Five Alarm Task Force presents some of the best instructors and mentors in public safety today to educate, elucidate, and entertain. No topic is out of bounds and every opinion has value. Five Alarm Task Force is brought to you by Insight Fire Training, LLC, your best bet for fire service, thermal imaging, camera training, and by the Firehouse Tribune, where you can expand your horizons in emergency services and learn to work hard, stay safe, and live inspired. And our promotional partners, Dalmatian Productions, Chief Miller Products and Sites, Hennessy Distributing, your source for the cool towel, the Firefighter Cancer Foundation, fighting to extinguish firefighter cancer since 2004, the Firefighter Cancer Sport Network, Nesta Bars, and the 2019 Great Florida Fire School. Remember, our ultimate goal is for you to be safe and return home after every call. So insert those earphones or turn up those speakers. The Five Alarm Task Force is being dispatched right now. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, or good night. Whenever you listen to us, welcome to another episode of Five Alarm Task Force. News and issues for today's first response. I'm your host, Steve Green. We have a very interesting show for you today. A returning friend, Mr. David Wicklansky, a firefighter himself, and one who is very much involved in the behavioral health initiative that is that we're pushing in the fire service because we've lost too many firefighters to their own hands over the past several years. Matter of fact, in 2017, we lost more to suicide than we did in line of duty deaths. So we're going to be talking about the uh, his service with the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation, and we'll be talking about the Behavioral Health Initiative. But first, we need to pay the bills, right? So we're glad you're here. If you, this is the first time, we are so privileged to have you with us. Thank you very much for thinking of us and joining in and listening to our podcast. If you'd like to listen to any more, you can find them on our website at www dalmatianproductions.tv just click on the podcast tab across the top right side and it will bring you to our entire library page and feel free to binge at your delight and while you're on our website please don't forget to sign up for our newsletter it only comes out a few times a year and uh, there will be one going out shortly and it's not spam and we don't give away your email address we don't sell your email address we guard it uh, very like it's our own, okay? Very important to us. Uh, so you don't have to worry about that. If you follow us on Facebook at either forward slash DalmatProd or DalmatProdFire, please like us and let us know that you're there. Send us a comment. Send us a message. Either way, just let us know that you like and listen to Five Alarm Task Force. And if you listen to us on a podcast platform such as Google Play or iTunes or Spotify, etc., Almost all of them have a way for you to rate the podcast. And we would really, truly appreciate it if you would give us a great rating, five stars, and great comments. Not only is it important to us of how the podcast platform looks at us, but it's important for when people are looking for us, they'll find us more quickly and more easily just by typing in 5 Alarm Task Force with good uh, ratings. 
And finally, uh, if you'd like to share your your love for the podcast and your interest in it with your friends and family, we have a nice way of doing that and helping one of the charities that we're actually going to be talking about today, and that's the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation. All you have to do is go to our little storefront uh, with our friends from Teespring, and that's uh, bit, b as in boy, dot b-i-t dot lee, bit dot lee forward slash Dalmat Store, capital D-A-L-M-A-T, capital S-T-O-R-E. And once you're there, there are several T-shirts you can choose from or some mugs you can choose from. And a significant portion of the net proceeds from the sales goes to the National Fallen Fires Foundation. And as we're beginning now to roll down towards the end of Season 3, hard to believe we've done Season 3, we'll have another check going out to the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation in the next couple of weeks. And that's it. That's what's important. And we're going to be right back with my good friend and guest, David Wiklansky, right after these words. Please stay tuned. New technology for the fire service seems to appear almost every day. And that technology demands a learning curve, especially if we're talking about thermal imaging cameras. That's where Insight Fire Training LLC is your best bet. With an excellent reputation across the U.S., Insight Fire Training will meet all your TIC training needs. Their curriculum is peer-reviewed and has been used internationally. Their instructors are Level 1 Thermography Certified, and they have taught in 33 states and 4 countries. Their courses run from introductory to training the trainers. Courses are available online, for the classroom, classroom hybrid, and even live fire. Insight Training LLC is proficient in over 40 thermal imaging cameras, so you feel confident they will know your make and model. Best of all, programs are customized to your specific needs, and their cadre of fire service veterans are vetted craftsmen of Project Kill the Flashover. They are so proficient that they have trained tick manufacturers on how to best use and sell their own product. That's Insight Fire Training, LLC. Look them up on InsightTrainingLLC.com. Your best bet for tick training. Would you like to meet up with Andy and the team from Insight Training? Well, 2019 is the year to do it. He is part of their upcoming schedule. June 5th, a free situational awareness webinar sponsored by FLIR. Watch Insight Training page on Facebook for the registration link. June 14th, an eight-hour tactical thermal imaging classroom session in North Metro, Colorado. June 19th to the 23rd, family camp in Black Mountain, North Carolina. Instructor Andy Starnes will be leading firefighter-based family devotions each day. June 27th, enhanced search methodology at the Buckhannon Fire Department in West Virginia. July 18th, Firehouse Table presents Andy Starnes in an online Zoom webinar. Check Facebook for more details. And August 10th, a 10-hour tactical thermal imaging seminar at 5450 Wyatt Earp. Watch Facebook for more details. Remember, Insight Training, your best bet for tick training. The Firehouse Tribune, where inspiration was forged by those who came before us, opening the doors for us to build a path a path to share our mission with the rest of the emergency service world. With a small, tight-knit team of first responders dedicated to sharing experiences and knowledge, we constantly strive to provide our followers with thought-provoking content 
from all aspects of emergency services and life. Our contributors speak at top fire and EMS conferences in the country. They have been guests on numerous fire service podcasts and will even come and speak at your firehouse or event. Interested? Visit their website, www.thefirehousetribune.com and find them on Facebook using The Firehouse Tribune and on Twitter at FH Tribune and on Instagram, FH Tribune. We live by one motto, not just in emergency services, but in life as well. Excellence is a habit, not a goal. We look forward to hearing from you soon. Until next time, work hard, stay safe, and live inspired. Welcome to Chief Miller. Chief Miller operates the largest social media page dedicated to the men and women of the fire service from around the world. Check him out on Instagram at Chief underscore Miller. Find him on Twitter at Chief underscore Miller. And check out the website where you can find Chief Miller Apparel at Chief Miller Apparel. And welcome back to this episode of Five Alarm Task Force, news and issues for today's first responders. And I'm very happy to welcome back this guest. He'd been with us early on. It's hard to believe that here we are wrapping up our third season. And my uh, guest and a friend is David Wiklansky. He is a firefighter EMT with the New Brunswick Fire Department, currently assigned to the suppression section. He has nearly 20 years in emergency services. Uh, David is a highly known speaker and writer, most notably for his presentations on behavioral health in addition to suicide terrorism. His mission is to end the stigma associated with mental health and to connect responders with the available resources to not only survive, but thrive in their careers. His presentations have been followed at many seminars at the local, state, and national levels, and he has contributed articles to Fire Engineering, Firehouse Magazine. As a matter of fact, the current issue of Firehouse, David has a great article in it, and the Firehouse Tribune. Uh, David has a BA in Psychology from Keene University and an MA in Behavioral Sciences, Human Behavior, and Organizational Psychology from Keene University. He is on faculty at Keene and Raritan Valley Community College, where he regularly lectures on all aspects of psychology. He holds certifications as a Fire Instructor too and EMT Instructor. He is also a New Jersey National Fallen Firefighters Foundation advocate and the owner of Alpha Omega Training Solutions. David, welcome back to the show. I'm so happy we got you back again. Thanks for having me, Steve. Great to be back. Well, it is. And, and the, the subjects we're going to talk about today are so important. And uh, I think the timing is perfect. As I said, we're winding down our, our third season. It's hard to believe that we have over 150 episodes in the can but some of them, you know, a lot of the, the podcasts are nice and light and instrumental or instructional and stuff like that. But the, the podcast that we're going to do with you today and that we did in the past with talking about resilience, which was wonderful when I met David at the 2017 Great Florida Fire School. And I sat in and listened a little bit to his beginning of his lecture about resilience and what it makes. And we did a little private interview afterwards. He really has this dedication to this issue of mental health in the fire service. And that's because we haven't really paid enough attention to it until recently. And I think it was the statistics from 2017, as I mentioned earlier in the intro, when we lost more firefighters to their own hand than we did to line-of-duty deaths. And I think that was the tipping point. David, what do you think? I would agree with you. Sadly, we're not really uh, beating that standard, even currently, uh the exact numbers elude me. I think we're sitting at either 18 or 19 line of duty deaths. And I believe the last time I had seen from Jeff Dill's post, uh, 38 suicides. Oh, man. So we're still not 
overtaking that at all. And we've had a couple of uh, had a couple of setbacks, and we were making a little bit of progress in some of the states that we'll talk about a little later with some of the uh, assembly and senate bills that are going through. But sadly, we also have some uh, administrators. I hesitate to use the term leadership in that term. Uh, that are just making what I like to call boneheaded statements that may ultimately cost us more firefighters' lives. They just don't understand. Right. And, you know, the old days in my, in my day, it was suck it up. That was, you, that was the total healing process if you had a, a problem, behavioral health problem, or you had a bad reaction to a call. It was just suck it up. Uh, we can't do that anymore. We can't afford to do that with these numbers. So how do we get or how do we try to get the message through to the point where it's as accepted as, for example, the cancer initiative? Almost everybody's on board one way or another with the cancer initiative in the fire service. Why is it that the behavioral health initiative is, is like putting you know, a, 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 whole, a whole trout through a sieve and expecting to have you know, get filter fish out of it. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of it is we don't have a physical injury. Uh, and as a result, we can't see it. And because we can't see it, we don't know how to manage it. I use the analogy a lot in my classes where if somebody walks in and they have a broken arm or a broken leg and they're in the firehouse, it's, hey, that sucks, man. How you doing? Is there something we could do for you? Is there something we can get you? Because we can see it. Right. If someone has a behavioral health issue, we can't see it. And then it becomes the almost malingering of, are you being legitimate or are you trying to use this as a cop out or an escape? And unfortunately with everything, people are going to abuse the system. Uh, some states don't have anything for behavioral health at all. It's not treated as a workers comp issue. It's not treated as a health and safety issue. It's merely go see the psychologist, but we also have an issue with, we don't have an appropriate amount of clinicians that are, uh, we like to call them culturally competent. Right. They don't understand sure. the fire service. They don't understand EMS. And as a result of it, your first encounter with that psychologist might be incredibly negative. And we all know that once it's a negative experience, we come back to the firehouse and it's, well, they didn't help me. They weren't able to do anything for me. And as a result of it, why am I going to go back? And you've now soured everyone around you because it's, well, you know, this guy was strong enough to ask for help and now they didn't help him. Right. So now what do we do at that point? Yeah, that, that that's a good point. And, you know, we we talked about this uh, on the first podcast we did with resilience, but the fact is that we still have, I don't like to use the term, but it's the only way I can think of it, an old guard mentality. Mm -hmm. We're not open, you know, we've always been known to be reluctant to change, the fire service, probably more than anything else. You know, you go into medicine and there's a new discovery that can uh, prevent this or that, and it's embraced. Uh, worldwide but absolutely but in the fire service if we change the delivery system of our air breathable air in our tank whoa 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 everything's got to stop that stop or uh, this glove why does this glove feel different than the old glove everything's got to stop now we've as i said in the beginning we're making some inroads with the cancer initiative there are still small departments uh, rural departments that unfortunately are not embracing it to the extent that we need them to and still believe that you can just, you know, take off your coat during overhaul and just suck up all the fumes and the soot and the particulates and just, you know, 10 years later when you're diagnosed, they say, gee, I wonder how this happened. But uh, thanks, thankfully, in talking with our team 
our local team here from University of Miami Sylvester Comprehensive Cancer Centers, they have assured us that they are working, they have worked, to make sure this message gets out to even the most rural departments. Now, what that department does is something else, but they know that they're getting the message out there. Yet, I guess it's this old guard, this, and it's, I think it comes from the, well, as you said, the people in charge, let's not use the term leadership, because real leaders would embrace this issue and do their best to mitigate it, just like we're doing with cancer. Mm-hmm. And yet all too many are just, as you said, brushing them off, go see the psychologist and, and let me know, you know how it comes out. And it's funny, last year at the school, Joe had me teach a course. He said, do something that you're passionate about. And I talked about firefighter health, wellness, and fitness for duty and the cancer initiative and the behavioral health initiative. And as it is now, it's even tough if a guy or gal strains their back pulling a ladder. They're very reluctant to even say anything about a physical injury because they're afraid they're going to be punished. That's how they look at light duty or take a couple of days as its punishment. And we have to break through that barrier as well because it's not punishment because we'd rather them take that time, get physical therapy and heal and get right back to us as quickly as they're physically able to then have to suffer with an injury or compound that injury by going out another call and doing something that's going to uh, either re-injure right away or add severity to the initial injury. So where are we? What kind of inroads can we make when we have this brick wall up in front of us that even with the biggest sledgehammer or the best nester bar, we can only make little tiny chips in? I think a large portion of that is the lack of education. Now, we're getting to a great point of the awareness education of mental health. We've gotten there. There's articles constantly in all of your major trade journals. Um, there's behavioral health tracks at pretty much every major conference that you go to. Even your local and your regional conferences have behavioral health tracks. Right. But I think we need to be doing more. If we were to make it more analogous to the NFPA, uh, when we look at awareness operations and technician level type training, we need to be moving into that operations level. We are now aware that there is a problem. Now, how do we mitigate it? What is it that we need to do? I think a lot of the problem that we're seeing with leadership, I mean, there's some great leaders out there. This isn't a, a blanket statement of oh, nobody absolutely. knows what they're doing. Agreed. Because there's some great chiefs out there that are on point. But for a vast majority of it, it's, they're not aware of what they don't know. They hear about it. They might see the statistics and go, oh, man. But what are they supposed to do to mitigate that problem? And if they don't have somebody in their corner or their right-hand person going, hey, chief, hey, director, here's how you do things, they're not going to be aware of how to solve the problem. So they're not that they're being ignorant of the issue. They're just ignorant of the solution. And honestly, I'm not 100% sure what that total solution is. We have legislative bills that address mental health now, which is great. You guys are doing great work in Florida with the presumptive cancer. Right. That's fantastic. Yep. I mean, Heather and the work that she's doing, she's been killing it down there. Yeah, she does. But how do we get past that when we have, like I said, the old guard mentality and also just the lack of generalized awareness of how big of a problem this truly is? We don't have a ton of data. We're getting more as we go in terms of PTSD rates. But once again, PTSD, well, for lack of a better expression, can't be seen. We have brain scans, which actually show PTSD is more of a structural injury than a disorder. I don't like the term disorder personally, because we can actually see a structural change in the brain. So it's a physical injury 
that has been caused by a mental health related crisis. Uh, we weren't designed as human beings to see the types of things that we see and encounter them on a regular basis. Right. You look at the general population, people develop PTSD in a single incident. We might be going to five or six of those incidents in the course of a day over a 30-year career. It's amazing. Uh, even just recently, and I, I hate to use popular TV, but Chicago Fire actually just did an episode that involved one of their guys retiring, a 30-plus year veteran, I think almost 40 years and he was having a behavioral health crisis, and they recognized, and they got together, and they involved their chaplain, which the chaplain's program is fantastic. Uh, we really, I don't think I can preach that enough, where you need all aspects covered. You need your mental health clinicians. You need peer support programs, and you need that spiritual component. So if you have a chaplaincy program that you have the availability to go see someone who can guide you, that's great. It needs to be non-punitive. And Absolutely. unfortunately, in some cases, we're seeing that punitive nature. I want to say it was out of Georgia, where there was a firefighter who went out on uh, a behavioral health issue, went and got treatment. Their chief was like, hey, this is going to be great. I can't wait to have you back. We're looking forward to you coming back. And when they were going to be cleared to be returned to duty, it became, well, you're a public health risk, and we're not going to let you drive the apparatus anymore. And because that was your job, you no longer have a job. So oh, what just happened God. to everyone surrounding them? It's, I'm not going to ask for help anymore because this guy just got shafted. So now he has to worry about the financial stress of how does he provide for himself and for his family. In addition to everyone else looking at that going, well, if I acknowledge that something's bothering me, I might lose my job. And most people, you lose your job. That's it. Right. I mean, you're losing everything. You're losing your identity. And we're talking more about identity with terms of retirees where you spend 30 plus years as a firefighter and you might have been the guy. You might have been the chief of the department, and the day you retire, who are you? And you're still the same person, but you no longer have that title. And as a result of not having that title, some people have a hard time adjusting to it. And we're noticing with the retirees that the suicide rates are going up as well because everything that they've lived for, they no longer have. So they start to get into that hopelessness side of things. Right. You know, it's funny you mention that because I've, I've been lucky enough to have a lot of officers on this show, uh, many of them chiefs or somewhere in that chief structure. And I guess maybe just the way, the way my, my, my parents brought me up, but I address each and every one of them by chief. I don't call them by the first name, uh, especially on the podcast. Maybe, you know, if I was uh, you know on site and was shaking hands at a, at a conference, that's one thing, but on online there's in my eyes, they earn that respect. I was simply a snot-nosed, belly-crawling nozzle jockey. They were, <laughs> they were an officer. They became a chief. And that's the, the respect that they deserve. And I so always address them as, as chief or sir. Um, I was very lucky this last week to have a great panel with uh, Billy Goldfeder, uh, Ch uh, Chief Billy Goldfeder and Chief uh, Brian Sola and Chief Tony Correa, who you know very well. You know Tony mm -hmm. very well. And Chief Victor Conley from Dallas and Steve Austin, one of the co co-founders of respondersafety.com. In, in that discussion, while they tossed their names back and forth, to me, I would say, Chief so-and-so, you know, what do you think about this? Because that's what I feel is the proper, that's the way my parents brought me up. And uh, though I'm older than probably all four of them, maybe Tony and I are kind of close, but I think I'm older than Tony. That's respect. That's my parents taught me, that you show respect to the people who have earned it at a different level than you have. But re respect comes with another aspect that's missing from what you just said, and that's compassion. 
Respect, respect without compassion is empty. A good leader, as you said, has to know the difference between the right time to, to show that compassion when it's needed and the other time when you, you're the leader on the fire ground. But they have to be able to separate themselves, and I think, I'm sorry to say, I don't think many of them know how to do that. I don't know. I haven't gotten to that point, and uh, with any luck, God willing, if the creek don't rise, I'll get there before I manage to retire, and I'll be able to address it with you in you know, <laughs> 14 plus years before I retire. But uh, it's definitely it's a change of pace, just with anything, though. It's it's almost a grieving type process when you lose the not lose the job. Excuse me, when you leave the job, it's the same thing as if you were to leave a relationship, or you know, you get divorced, or you lose a spouse, or just you lose that part of you. And it's something that we were never trained on how to handle. Grief was just not taught. It was a matter of, hey, everyone grieves differently, which I get. And there's a little bit of literature about how we grieve. And beyond that, it was just we have this existence and this existence is no longer there. So um, find the new you. Right. Something we talk about a lot in training is who are you after this? Who are you post-retirement or who are you after the, the death of a firefighter? Uh, one of the programs that I'm involved in is I teach the taking care of our own class for the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation. And we, it's a line of duty death prep class, not preparation like test prep, but preparation for in the event mm -hmm. that this happens to you, how do we do it, make it flawless, make it seamless and respect the wishes of the family and honor the fallen. And one of those things is the grief aspect of it. It's what do we need to do now that you have to exist without this individual, whoever they were to you? Maybe they were the person riding the tailboard with you. Sorry, we don't ride tailboards anymore. <laughs> maybe they were the person riding in the back jump seat properly secured with their seatbelt. Or maybe they were your officer. Maybe they were your best friend coming up. But who are you now in the absence of that person? And it's something that we don't, once again, it's something we don't talk about because that involves feelings and we can't talk about feelings. Right. One of the things we've talked on the show about several times is when the old retired guy like me, you know, wants to come around the f firehouse and visit and he knocks on the door and the young kid, oh, no, it's, it's Pete again. He wants to come down and be us at the kitchen table. Uh, what do we do? Okay. And they let him in. But I see great value in that for two reasons. Number one, which they don't see, is how much it helps Pete to be back in the firehouse that he's been out of for three years already. And visit. Absolutely. Number two is that with his 32-year career, Pete, the firefighter, has knowledge of how to do certain things that these younger people, I won't say kids, these younger people do not know and have no idea because so many things have changed. But during Pete's time, he had to learn how to adapt. When he needed a tool and he didn't have it, he figured something else out. And it was kind of passed along among the folks in the firehouse, but not necessarily multi-generational. So when Pete comes back to the firehouse to visit and sit at the kitchen table for lunch, he, he has pearls of wisdom to share with you guys and say, hey, have you ever run into this situation where that woodchuck wouldn't just stick in the door? No matter how hard you pushed it, it just didn't stick? Well, here's an idea that I used. And becomes not just a visit, but it becomes, and not just a healing session for Pete, becomes a learning session for everybody sitting at the at the kitchen table. Absolutely. We have a, a retired chief, Chief Moran, that comes around a lot, and it's always a blessing to see him. 
he comes in and the first thing that we do is we put on a fresh pot of coffee because he likes his coffee black <laughs> and we make sure he has his coffee within probably 30 seconds or 45 seconds of walking in the door even to the extent that our most junior guy has learned when Chief Moran walks through the door, the first thing you do is get him a cup of coffee. It's a good morning, Chief, and grab him his coffee. He's been retired probably longer than our junior guy's been on this earth, but that's okay. We're still trying to instill that culture, that tradition. And he's just a great guy to come around and talk to. He hangs out for like an hour and then he leaves. But you know what? For that hour, at least we can absorb some of that knowledge from him and some of that experience. And it's also just great to be able to see our retirees. There's no reason why you put 30 plus years into a career and you walk away from it and nobody ever sees you again or nobody right. ever hears from you again. Because then we've lost all of that knowledge. We've lost all of that camaraderie. And it's something that we're starting to lack in the fire service and it's getting terrified. It is. There's no, there's no doubt about it. It's been a major topic we've seen on social media and a couple of times here on, on the show where it's, it's really like letting, I don't know, it would be like throwing a good piece of steak just throwing it out in the garbage because it's a great cut it's cooked perfectly just the way you like it and it can give you that pleasure that you're looking for every once in a while from a big piece of red meat if you're if you're a meat eater and what it means to you but you certainly wouldn't ever think of just throwing it away in in no, its entirety right so the same thing has to be thought about of our firefighters who either disable out like I had to do or retire out with a good, you know, good career behind them. And let's be honest, they didn't last 25, 30, 32 years in the same department if they weren't, if they didn't have value and they weren't contributing to the betterment of that department as a whole. Absolutely. And we're actually going through that now. We have, uh, we're coming to the time where a lot of our chiefs are hitting their 30 year mark and that's pretty much the time to go around here, at least in Jersey. And we're going to lose 120 years, 150 years of experience all in a single shot, probably by the end of the year. And it's actually kind of terrifying. You're going to have a very young department and what are we going to do with the lack of knowledge? So right now it's the, Hey, let's absorb absolutely everything we can. And it's normally the mode that we're in, right. but it's like, is there something else that we need to be aware of? And every time we lose one of these guys to retirement, there's a, a huge hole that needs to be filled sure. because we don't have that same experience. We didn't ha we don't see the fire duty that we, they saw when they were coming up. We don't see the types of buildings that they saw. Everything's changing and it's, Hey, you know, we had a fire here and it's this unique structure. So let's go into it. Let me show you about it. So we figure out where things are like, Hey, there's a dumbwaiter shaft behind this wall that you would never think about until you go to open it up and you realize there's a giant gaping hole for fire behavior. That's a great it's a very interesting topic, though. Very, it is. It really is. So, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about. With that said, and with the losses that we know, uh, you're very involved with the New Jersey chapter of the uh, National Fallen Firefighters Foundation advocacy. Tell us a little bit about the work you're doing with them now, please. So, on the New Jersey side, um, there's, I think, currently nine of us that are traveling the state trying to deliver training. Uh, if anybody's interested, reach out to your state advocates. The training's free, so it fits into everybody's budget. And we have programs for leadership, accountability, culture, and knowledge, the LAC program. We have the Everyone Goes Home and the Courage to Be Safe program that deal with the 16 life safety initiatives. Um, with the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation, we now have our affiliate, which is the First Responder Center for Excellence. They actually took over the Stress First Aid program. So that's still available. It's still free. 
Uh, one of the roles that I recently took on in July of last year, I joined the training team for the Taku class, which is the Taking Care of Our Own program. As I mentioned, it's the line of duty death prep class. Yeah. It's kind of a unique, it's an all day long training, which I understand in the fire service, you start talking about, hey, it's going to be an eight hour day and people cringe. And you start talking about it's going to involve line of duty deaths and people cringe. And I get it. I understand that. But it's also something that in the fire service, we do funerals really well. But we need to be better about everything else, everything from what happens in the event of a line of duty death. How do we handle the notification and get it right, especially in today's day and age of social media? You're probably not going to beat social media to that notification. I know there are days where I'm home and I'm aware that we have a second or greater alarm fire at work before the recall pager goes off because I could see it on social media. Right. So in the event that we have a firefighter down in the field, you're probably going to find out about it through Facebook or Twitter or Instagram well before anything else. And there's still the, the family aspect of that. One of the great things about this program, and I'm probably going to regret when I say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. As of today, I'm not aware of when it's going to change. That class is currently grant-funded in a partnership between the Department of Justice and Bureau of Justice Administration and the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation. Excellent. So any agency, any fire department in New, uh, excuse me, not New Jersey, in the United States can apply for us to come out and do this class for them free of charge. And we've been going to a ton of different places. We were in uh, Leavenworth, Washington, which is a little Bavarian village about two and a half hours east of Seattle uh, back in January. Beautiful little town. Shalon uh, County Fire District 3, if I remember it correctly. Great people, really salt of the earth people. They were very thankful that we managed to come out. Uh, we're going to be going all over the nation in the next couple of months doing this. So if somebody has an interest in it, apply now. And you know, eventually this grant's going to run out. So get it taken care of uh, prior to that. One of the other things that we've noticed with that program is, and it's a common theme, in the event that something is to happen and we have a line of duty death, the appointment of a liaison officer for the family is absolutely critical. Right. The downside to this is nobody's really sure what the liaison should do, can do, or almost best practices, if you will. Uh, we've had quite a few discussions with agencies that have suffered line of duty deaths. We've had quite a few discussions with people who have been appointed as the liaison or in some cases self-appointed as the liaison. And some of the experiences were not so pleasant. We had an individual who spent, I believe it was 21 days with the family nonstop, just 24-7 for 21 days. He neglected his own family and he felt left out because he felt that his department left him stranded there. And we want to try and prevent that. Um, unfortunately, we don't have a class on that yet. I think that's one of the things that we're working on developing, uh, hopefully a short like micro module, two hours, four hours, just how do we do this? And, you know, who's the right person? Is the right person the best friend of the firefighter who was lost? Probably not. They're going to have their own emotional burden to unpack. Great point. They're going to be grieving. So they're not going to be able to take care of the family as well as they should be. And also, if they're that close, they're going to be grieving with the family. Is the person someone completely outside of their chain of command? I don't know. Uh, there's a lot of discussion as to whether or not you want somebody who knew that fallen firefighter, who can tell those stories and who can relate to them. So that way we can give the family some degree of closure. So it's a matter of who do we need to appoint and also what is their role and responsibility and do they have the authority level to do the things that they want to do? If there's the issue of every time we see a loss, it's 
you know, give us a call, we'll do whatever you need. Well, is it truly whatever you need? If the family has extended family coming in from the airport and they go, hey, we need four rental cars, is the department willing to and ready to go, hey, no problem, you know, call Enterprise, here's our business account, or call a local car dealership and go, hey, can we work this out with you somehow? Or even better, do we have a plan worked out well in advance of this sure. so we could actually deal with this? Uh, one of the other major things that we're noticing, it's one of the statistics, uh, Whenever we do these classes, we send out surveys and we're trying to see how effective they are and also to see what are the uh, what are the take-home points and whether or not those take-home points are met. So I pulled some of the stats from the current foundation website. One of the things that I liked is 81% of the departments surveyed updated their employee emergency contact information after our class, which Very that's good. huge because yeah. you start to think about, hey, when I was first hired on the job 10 plus years ago, my emergency contact information is very different than now. I didn't have children. I wasn't married at the time. Now that I am, it's important that the chief or whoever has to handle that can pull a piece of paper and go, okay, here's where Dave lives. Here's his wife. Here's her name. Here's his children's names. And here's what we need to be able to prepare for as opposed to walking in blind. Because right. I don't think anybody wants to feel that helpless feeling of here is you know, Firefighter Smith's widow and it's like, hi, Mrs. Firefighter Smith, because they don't know what their name is. Right. So it's important that we are able to do that. There's a couple of other things. Uh, 62% of the departments reviewed and revised an existing plan or their policy. And it's great that you have a plan. And if it sits on a shelf and doesn't get updated, when you need it, you open it up and go, hey, their funeral is going to be at XYZ Funeral Home, but that's now been out of business for five years. <laughs> or we're going to utilize this company and they no longer exist. Or here's one of our other plans, but we can't do that anymore because it, it's no longer within our purview. So I almost like to make the recommendation of every year we go through bloodborne pathogens training. Every year we go through the mandatory compliance stuff. You know what? If you have one of these plans, dust it off and go through it. Every year, update it. At the same time, update the employee emergency contact forms. Spend great. the time with your people, have them go through it. And if nothing changed, great. Write nothing changed, initial it, and date it. So that way I know that if I pull that form, it's current and it's valid. The other thing that we would love to see, and I don't know if there's anybody out there that's willing to undertake this, develop a phone app for Android and for iPhone where we can take all this information, we can upload it into an application, and the chief can pull out their smartphone and they have all of the emergency contact info for their firefighters readily available to them. Because paper is good, but paper sits in a binder. That binder is usually in a locked file cabinet, and it's typically at headquarters. If we need it on a scene or we're going to the hospital to make a notification, it needs to be readily available to us. So if any of your listeners want to develop that app, let us know. That'd be great. It would uh, be. Uh, you know, I, first thing off the top of my head is I can think maybe maybe that, that binder needs to be in the chief's buggy instead of sitting on the, on the shelf in his office and Again, keep everything that you said in force of updating it every year. Make sure everybody signs a form and you have it. And then it's, it's in that buggy. It's there if he needs it, God forbid, on scene to do it. I, I, unfortunately, fortunately or unfortunately, I guess, my work in, uh, in synagogue work for 20 years had me kind of pushed into a, into a situation where I was often called upon to to help with a critical uh, critical incident. I had already officiated at hundreds of funerals and, and unveilings and bereaved families. They just turned to me and said, well, Steve, you, you know, you kind of know this stuff, you know, would you do it? 
And I did. I did what I had to do based on the information I had, the knowledge I had. I always included, I would go to the rabbi of the congregation and ask him for any more advice. I told him what I was doing and what else was necessary and uh, bring that to, to the fold as well. Uh, it is not an easy test to do. Uh, I not can tell you that from personal experience, as, as you can. And it is quite a burden a personal burden on you, emotional burden on you, no matter, I'll tell you the truth, it, it makes no difference how many people in your career, in the fire service or EMS or police that you've seen pass, no matter how horrible it is, it's still one more is one too many in a career. That's the way I've always looked at it. Yet, absolutely correct. We have to deal, we have to deal with it. We have to know how to deal with it properly. And I think what you've just said is that, number one, the training has to be there. It cannot be simply black and white in a notebook, on a shelf, or in the buggy. And that's where it stays throughout the year without anybody else doing anything with it. The preparation, uh, having done a, 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 it wasn't actually a line of duty death, but it was one of our members who passed away suddenly. The preparation is the whole backbone of whether you're going to have any success in this endeavor or not. If you are not prepared, it's going to be like a something that begins with cluster. Mm-hmm. And that's the last thing you want to do in a difficult, difficult situation. Well, there's things that I never even thought of with this. The first time I sat through this class, and it really opened my eyes between the contact information form, which I was like, Oh, you know, I work with these guys. They know how to get a hold of my wife if they need to. And then I was, I asked three of my closest colleagues, and I was like, "Hey, do you have my wife's cell number?" And they go, "No. Why would we have that?" And I was like, "Holy crap!" And it just it started to make me think about maybe I didn't have as much prep as I thought. The other thing that really opened my eyes, and just I never would have thought about it either way. I, I consider myself religious, and I have my own religious beliefs. But there are some religions where we have time requirements before they have to be buried. That's right. I know in your faith, that's one. I know the Muslim faith, there's another. So if you have a a Muslim firefighter that is killed in the line of duty, you're already behind the eight ball in terms of the overall clock. And I heard this in the class and I went, oh, wow. Like I never, it never crossed my mind. And I like to consider myself pretty well prepared. Right. And then what's actually post that? What's available to the family? And nobody wants to talk about death to begin with, but in the event of their death, um, the class discusses benefits checklists. New Jersey's benefits changed in November of 2018. I wasn't even aware of it. I'm a Jersey guy. I consider myself pretty well informed. We no longer have a state death benefit through New Jersey State. We have the federal line of duty death benefits, right. but we no longer have a Jersey benefit. The entire time I've been sitting here telling my wife, they're like, hey, if something happens to me, you know, where there's a federal benefit, there's a state benefit, there's obviously the life insurances, et cetera. But now that's no longer the case. And I was totally shocked that, hey, we don't have this. Um, on the foundation's website, firehero.org, there is actually, you can go state by state and you can see what your benefits package is as current as we have it. And it's amazing because we'll go places and be like, hey, here's your benefit. People will go, I didn't even know that I got that or that I was eligible for that. And it's like, well, you know what? Then I don't want to say we're leaving money on the table, but your your family can be better taken care of. And it's something that should ultimately be included in what I call your death letter. You need to have that letter that is sitting in your safe deposit box or in your safe at home that in the event of my death, please open. And it's got the life insurance information in it. And it's got the passwords for bank accounts for online banking. And it's got all of those things that in the event that I'm no longer here, 
here's what you need to carry on. And nobody wants to talk about that. I don't oh, even yeah. like talking about it, to be honest with you. I but did it. It's one of those formal like things. I did it, and it was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. I had tears running down my face as I typed it up uh, mm-hmm. for my family. And it was, I, I couldn't, it was so hard to project that I was sitting in this chair typing this up and what, where, the, where they would be when they had to read it. Yeah. And we don't want to talk about it, but think about the hopelessness and the helplessness of, in the event that we never did that, we're, we have a bereaved family that's literally spiraling because they have no idea which way is up right now. And then it's, wait a minute, how am I going to pay the mortgage? How am I going to pay for groceries this month? What am I going to do? How do we handle this funeral? Is it going to be a fire department funeral? Is it not going to be a fire department funeral? You know, is there something that the fire department can help me with or that they can't help me with? There are funeral homes that have agreements with the fire department where it's like, hey, you know what? You have a death benefit from this organization and we will take that death benefit and whatever is in excess of that, we'll write it off and we won't charge you for it because it's a service that we're going to provide. But if we never are aware of those things, we're never going to utilize it. All right, that, that's a great point. So the, 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 one of the first things we need to do, as you said, is we need to get this information out to the, the boots on the ground. Because here you gave a perfect example. You're a firefighter almost 20 years in, in New Jersey, and mm-hmm. yet that state benefit disappeared, and you had no idea you didn't even hear anything about it. Yep, I had no clue in the world. So if, if you, as someone who is tuned in so correctly to the pulse of what's happening to, for the fire service in New Jersey and didn't know about it, how many of the thousands of firefighters are in that same boat? And may Absolutely. still think they have that's that same state benefit, you know. So and even worse, how many people are out there that were never aware of any of their benefits to begin with? Exactly, career or volunteer, the benefits still exist. Fire doesn't differentiate between union and non-union. That's for it's sure. It's a matter of let's just make sure that our people are well taken care of. You're out there providing this service, whether you're collecting a paycheck or not. Make sure that you're aware of those benefits that are available to you and that are available to your family. Yeah. And if we were never made aware of it, no one would ever know to look for them. They would just assume that somebody else is going to take care of it. But if the things aren't done properly and paperwork isn't filled out properly, and let's face it, federal government doesn't work fast on anything. That's true. So even when you fill out a line of duty death packet, and uh, John Pearls from the NFFF will hand deliver it after he looks over it. We have the last team, which is the local assistant state teams. Uh, virtually every state has one that I am aware of. They can help you with the application packet you're still talking about a considerable delay before that federal benefit comes in. It's not going to be death, funeral, benefits check is in your hand. You're still going to have to be able to manage for a prolonged or protracted period of time before that benefit is able to be paid to you. Right. And so I, I think that one takeaway we'll tell to the listeners right now is that if you are a firefighter, whether you're a career firefighter, volunteer firefighter, part pay, combination, whatever, find out what are the benefits that you are entitled to, if any, in your department, in your community, and in your state, besides the federal one that David just mentioned. And do yourself a favor and do those you love a favor by doing your due diligence and not thinking, well, I'm 28 years old. I got plenty of time. I don't have to worry about it. Unfortunately, we've lost 
plenty of firefighters in their 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s that mm-hmm. never thought never thought that they were going to be at that point for a long time and never prepared for it. I know even my wife and I, when we did prearrangements. We didn't want our daughters to have to worry about anything. And we paid it off over a number of years, and everything is covered from soup to nuts, and it's taken care of. And we're not, I'm not saying that everybody has to do that. That's your own call. But find out if you're a firefighter. Reach out to your officers or your chiefs. Find out what are the benefits in the event of, God forbid, a line-of-duty death. Yeah, and I mean, I'll throw this out there. If you go to www.firehero.org, which is the NFFF's right. foundation's website, under Fire Hero Family Programs in the top banner, there's family benefits. When you scroll about halfway down the page, it says browse state and local benefits and everything by state and by U.S. territory. You can look up what benefits are available to you so you can better educate yourself. Because even if you were to ask your officer or your chief, if they don't know about it, they might be like, hey, I think it is. Well, I don't want you to have to think about it. I want you to be able to see it in black and white so you can prepare for it. Right. And I know talking about death, like we said, it's very morbid. Nobody wants to have that conversation. But I'd rather have this conversation with you now than have a conversation with a grieving spouse that was, well, I was told that I was entitled to X, Y, and Z. But that was either the old law, like in New Jersey where everything just changed, or it was never an option. It was just hearsay around the firehouse because that would be crushing to them. They've suffered this bereavement and this loss, and now they are dealing with an additional loss of we thought we were going to be well taken care of, and we're not. Right, right. And we just we just can't let that happen. You know, in the same way that we dedicate ourselves to protect the lives and property of the people in our community, that first life you have to, number one, take care of is your own, or else you're not able to fulfill that oath. And number two, you have to be able to take care of your family, at least let them know that they're taken care of to whatever extent you're able to, should, God forbid, something happen to you in the line of duty. Absolutely. It's, one, of the, uh, one of the analogies that I like to use a lot is if you've ever traveled in an airplane, the flight attendant will do their little safety briefing and they'll show you how to use the seatbelt and they show you where all the emergency exits are. And then they tell you about the oxygen mask. And in the event of a depressurization, this oxygen mask will drop. And even if you were traveling with young children, you put on your mask first, which seems contradictory because as a parent, I would want to protect my kids. The rationale makes perfect sense. If I cannot take care of myself, I can't take care of them either. So if I'm not going to be able to take care of myself in any way, shape or form, self-care, physical fitness, mental wellness, I can't take care of the population that I swore to protect. So I need to do a better job of that. Great point. Great point. All right. Let's see here. All right, well, I think we've really touched on some key issues here that I hope our listeners will take to heart. Uh, This is not about safety, this podcast. It's not about a technical way of doing something. This is about caring for yourself and the people that you love and making sure that in the event of a tragedy that you'll rest easy knowing that you've done everything you can to take care of those we leave behind. Again, you can always reach out to David or the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation at, as he said, the, the website, firehero.org. There are a lot of answers to a lot of questions you'll find there. And there are advocates. David's an advocate in the state of New Jersey, but every state has advocates uh, in it from the NFFF. 
And so if you don't know who that is in your community, well, then ask around because you're going to find somebody there who can help you give you a little guidance on that. All right, so we're going to take a break here, folks. And when we come back, we're going to continue uh, with David, and we're going to talk a little bit more about behavioral health and mental health in the fire service, uh, the toll it takes, and what we can do about it to uh, reduce that and not make it such a scary, scary situation. So we'll be right back with our guest, David Lancy, right after these words. Please stay tuned. The tone sound and the dispatcher announces stations 14 and 16, working residential structure. That was all you needed to hear. You jump up from your chair, head to the engine, and climb into the jump seat. As the queue screams, you take stock of your PPE, bunker pants, check, turnout coat, check, hood, check, gloves, check, escape line, check, SCBA strapped on, you're ready. Upon arrival, you jump off the apparatus, grab the loops of the red cross lay, and head for the open front door where smoke is pouring out. You make sure your buddy's behind you. You crouch low and make your way inside. You trust the SCBA mask hanging on your tool belt. What? Stop everything. What the hell are you thinking? You see it's a working room and contents fire, and the smoke is banking down almost to the floor. Who do you think you are, Superman? One breath of that crap and the smoke will damage you in some way, guaranteed. All the soot, carbon, carcinogens, and other outgassing materials will enter your body through the pores on your unprotected face. Don't be the domino, the first person down that forces everyone else to change their tasks to take care of you. Always remember, face peace on. You have comrades depending on you and a family to go home to. Face peace on. No matter where we live or no matter the season, there is always work to be done that makes us sweat. Just how can we keep cool? Well, Hennessy Distributing has the answer. Cool towels. Cool towels are 100% cotton towel and pre-moistened with all natural ingredients. The best part? No water is needed. Just open your cool towel pack, remove the towel and give it a couple of shakes, and you're all set. Wrap it around your neck like a kerchief, wipe your face, arms, neck, or any exposed skin, and it is approximately 20 to 30 degrees below the ambient temperature. Wait, did it warm up? No problem. Just shake it a couple of times again, and cool towel delivers its refreshing cool touch all over again. When the cooling mixture has expired, use your cool towel as you would any cloth or rag around the house. Because it is manufactured from 100% cotton, your cool towel is 100% recyclable. For more information or to get your cool towel today, visit www.cooltowel.com or call 1-800-918-8323. Remember, you're going to work and you're going to sweat. Make cool towel your answer to keeping cool. You're ready to call it a night. The kids are tucked in, the lights are out, and the dog's in the den. Seems all is calm. But stop. It's not all right. To keep you and your family safe in the event of a fire, we're advising you to close before you doze. Close your bedroom doors when you go to sleep. Why? Because closed doors dramatically decrease heat and carbon monoxide levels, which provide trapped occupants more time for help to arrive. And closed doors can slow the spread of the fire increase oxygen levels, and decrease temperatures dramatically. You've invested in smoke and carbon monoxide alarms. You've practiced fire escape plans with your family. Now learn another important way to protect all of you. Close before you doze. Also remember, if you are able to escape, make sure the last one out closes the main door. Remember, close before you doze. 
This message is brought to you by the UL Firefighter Safety Research Institute, closebeforeyoudoze.org, your local fire department, and this podcaster. And we're back with our guest today, David Wicklansky, on this episode of Five Alarm Task Force, News and Issues for Today's First Responders. And today's episode is not about tactics and water streams and flow rates and vent and stuff like that. This is about really the inside of us, our health inside, not just our medical health, but our emotional health. We all know, if you're a firefighter, you know that what we do takes a toll. And maybe you've gone 15, 10, 15 years and you haven't had a tragic call. And I'd say you're a very, very lucky firefighter. And I envy you. But most of us aren't that way. I was only in for eight years, but I had my share in those eight years of tragedy. So, David, let's talk about what are the, where are we today in, in the area of mental health in the fire service? Projects, ideas, thoughts. What do we have to offer? Sounds great. So there's a couple of really positive things that have been going on in the last, I'll say, month, month and a half. And then, unfortunately, there's a couple of the more negative things. Uh, I'll start with one of the more recent ones that was garnering national attention. Uh, Up in Connecticut, they have State Bill 164, uh, which the bill is called an act including certain mental and emotional impairments within the definition of personal injury under the workers' comp statutes, which sounds great. It's if there is an emotional issue, if there's a mental health issue. It will be covered by workers' compensation, which is fantastic. We'll give you the time off that you need to be able to address the issue that you're having. We'll still be able to protect your job. We'll be able to take good care of you. And it sounded fantastic on the surface, except when you dive into it, it doesn't include our counterparts from EMS. So if you are a private EMS provider, you were excluded from this bill and you were excluded from this bill Um, under the auspices of it'll cost us too much money to include you. So basically we're going to sacrifice you. Uh, There's a major uproar and hopefully this bill has passed their Senate. It's going for signature from the governor. Then hopefully it could be revised and rewritten a little bit to include our brethren from uh, private EMS services as well. We're starting to make progress. It's a great start. Uh, I was actually up in Connecticut this past week. We were talking about it. And it looks on surface that it's going to be a great bill. It just needs to be amended. We can't keep leaving out other responders. And there's a ton of programs out there that address police and fire, which is great. And then we forget about EMS. And then probably even more importantly than that, we forget about our dispatchers. And there are times where I'm even just as guilty because I'll be like, oh, yeah, when we're talking about police and fire and EMS and mental health and somebody will be like, but what about our dispatchers? And I have to be brought back to reality. They're on the other side of that radio. They're on the other side of that microphone. They are helpless to address the situation, but they are still encountering everything that we right. are encountering. They're not seeing it, but they're hearing it. And they're hearing it in our voices, the stress levels going up, or they're hearing the Mayday transmissions and retransmitting them. So we need to start looking at including our dispatchers, whether they be private or public, into these bills as well. A very important point. Um, one of the other, I'll say, I don't necessarily think of this as positive or negative, Uh, Just recently on the 21st of May, a study was published out of the University of Houston by a counseling psychology professor, and it addresses how female firefighters are more likely to commit suicide. So we're starting to actually identify that 
typically it's white males, about 85% is white males. Um, the data set is relatively small. I would like to see this become a much larger study. So data was collected from, I'm trying to pull my notes here, 2,639 firefighters, of which only 75 of those respondents were women. So we have a very small data set. And approximately 20% of them scored positively for PTSD and 30% for reported lifetime suicidal ideation. So when we start looking at those numbers, those percentages are huge. They are. But it's a smaller population that we're dealing with. So I don't know if that's going to translate nicely across the field and go, hey, this is the way that it is. We understand that women in the fire service, I don't want to say is relatively new. We have three on the job currently in the city. They're all fantastic firefighters. They do their job. They hold their own just like any male would. Uh, there's really no differentiation. It's a matter of they also are typically mothers. We have uh, our female firefighters, just like our male firefighters, typically have second jobs where they have job-related stress with that as well. And maybe that's contributing to it. I don't know. I haven't been able to dive really deep into this study yet. Um, it's only been out about a week at this point. So it's a matter of what is this going to show? And if we can get a larger scale study that involves more than just 75 female firefighters, what are those statistics going to show? Right. And unfortunately, I have a feeling it's going to be a larger percentage of the males. You know, we're not as accepting. It might be interesting for us to reach out to uh, Jeff and see what his what his numbers uh, reflect, say, in the past, you know, even going back to 2017 when we lost that high number. Uh, But just to see what, what his numbers reflect as far as male and females who have uh, who have taken their own lives uh from it but um you know unfortunately again that that i'm not going to go off on the tangent but of course we both know that um that that takes us to that other problem is that there are still too many male firefighters who consider themselves you know male grizzly bears and don't believe that the women should be in the fire service well you know if you can't grow up and Put on your big boy pants, and accept that as long as they, as long as they pass the the tests, as long as they pass the the pat, and as long as they pass everything else, they belong in that firehouse just as much as you do. Absolutely, uh, because and we've they, seen female firefighters that could run circles around even some of those right say jarhead, but uh, Neanderthal type males. Right, exactly. And then, unfortunately, on to the, the not-so-pleasant one. Um, it was in Firehouse. It was also on Fox 59 News, for those of you that are following the story. Uh, in Indiana, there was a fire chief who made some pretty alcohol and boneheaded statements. It's my words, not theirs. Um, there was a mandatory suicide awareness training program going on. Uh, his name's uh, Chief Jeff Williams. Uh, they had a 20-year veteran who, after the, the mental health training was going through a questionnaire and he was checking off all the boxes of things that he just knew were bothering him. And I want to grab the exact quote. He goes to the chief and mentions, Hey, you're probably going to be getting a call about my well-being. I checked a bunch of these boxes and the chief responded with, and this is a direct quote. We will let your family know what a great guy you were. It's like, I'm sorry. That just infuriated me on so many different levels. And apparently he made another comment mocking a firefighter that had recently died. It's like, if you are in a leadership role and this is your mindset, one of your people came to you and went, hey, chief, I have a problem. And your response is to joke about that member committing suicide. It is my opinion as me, not under any entity that I work for or belong to, that you probably should no longer be in that position of key leadership because you don't get it. So if something were to happen to that firefighter, how would you feel? How does, what do you think the rest of the men or the membership or the manpower feels about that comment? 
I mean, the union has a statement. They want something done discipline-wise, and obviously discipline is a closed-door process that involves right. mayor and council. So nobody's really sure what's going on with that. I wasn't able to find an update to that. But it's just what went through your mind? Like, were you trying to say it as a joke and it came across wrong? Because we really shouldn't be joking about those things. But that's just kind of, it bothered me enough that it's like, hey, I want to bring this up. And we discuss it a lot in some of our classes. And most people are like, I can't believe he would have said something like that. And I don't want to believe it. And if I weren't sitting here looking at it in writing, I have reason to suspect that this is actually the exact comment that was made. Right, right. So. Well, again, that goes back. To, you, you, you've used the word a couple of times, the, the Neanderthal mental status of some of the people in the fire service. I think that if you are not attuned to the one sole purpose that we choose this job, which is to protect lives and property, and what and devote ourselves, and we put ourselves through hell many, many times to fulfill that oath. And yet you don't embrace that oath as anything serious, either for yourself or your members, then you're right. I don't think you belong in that key leadership position. I don't think he remembered his oath. And it's something that Tony Carrillo always talks about with the oath. It's a matter of you not only need to sit down and think about it and write it out yourself and think about what it means to you. But occasionally we have to be reminded of that. Right. We need that reality check of, Hey, I'm not here for me. I'm here for them. I'm here for the population that we serve. And I'm here to take care of those people that I swore to take care of. It shouldn't be about what can I get out of this? It should be, we're here for those people, whoever right. they are. Our great late, uh, teacher, trainer, mentor, friend chief bruno would never have used the word i in talking about a situation like this correct it was always about mrs smith always about, mrs. about taking smith. care of her right and and even if that worst possible day is it her cat up the tree for her that's her worst possible day and our job is to show up be polite retrieve the cat for her and say if you need anything else you always know we're here for you and that's mm -hmm. it we don't judge mrs smith we just serve mrs smith and true people people abuse the fire service we know that and ems and law enforcement there's no way we're going to change that character flaw in that wider a macro, macrocosm but when you're a leader in the field. You know, this is talked about so often in the fire service, leadership. Leadership this, leadership that. I'm a leader, the air leader, everybody's a leader. But as I said in the article in one of the trades, nobody is born a leader. I've never met one obstetrician who said, hey, that boy's a leader, or that girl's going to be a great <laughs> leader. Right after I smack them on the on the ass, okay. Leadership is something that is cultivated, and it starts with the se the seed of interest, and hopefully somebody else sees that seed in you, and then they start, just like we would with a, a plant in the garden or a vegetable plant in the in the garden, we put it in that soil, that special soil for starting start starting growth, and we water it, we take care of it, make sure it has sun 
And a few days later, we come out, we're thrilled because suddenly a stem has arisen and there are a couple of leaves. Well, leadership is the same way. A leader doesn't grow by him or herself. A leader is made by those around them. And they use that environment to learn from. And that's the other thing about a leader. A leader must constantly be willing to learn and grow. And if you, if you stop that, if you lose that part of you, then you lose the, in my mind, you lose the ability to be a proper leader. I would agree with you. You know, so we got, you know, we have good, we have friends like, you know, Jeff Dill and Mark Lamplug uh, who really do everything they can to reach out. Uh, Mark now has a weekly show, I know, on uh, Facebook, on his group for people having uh, difficulty. I think it's on Thursday nights, the Firefighter Wellness Radio, I think is what it is. But people just like, you know, David and Mark and Jeff and a little bit tiny, tiny, tiny micro, micro bits of me that I help through the show can't do it by themselves. We have to change the atmosphere in which we're working to, in the same way that we don't, we wear a, a, an air mask, we wear SEBA when we're going into a toxic atmosphere of some kind. And if it's really bad, we wear a class A suit to go in there with our SEBA. We knowingly don't know that there's a bad situation and walk right into it and say, well, because I'm the leader, I can just walk in and, and take care of it like that. We have to do the same thing here. We, we know that, that behavioral health is a major issue today. Yeah, there are lots and lots and lots of us who went through it, quote unquote, back in the day, who saw terrible things. And the only person I share that with is my buddy who I met the night I was voted into that fire department. And he's still my best friend today. And I'll be seeing him in a couple of weeks. And the, one of the first things we do when we sit down and get together, we open up a couple of beers and we start talking about the days we were running for those four years that we were running calls together and the calls that we were on. Fun calls, funny calls, and real tragic calls. But we share it because we know we can share it with each other. And we've, sh we sh we've shared everything with each other, our sorrows in our lives and, our, and, our, and the joys in our lives. But if you cannot open your own heart to somebody else who needs that help emotionally, whether it's even just a small amount or a major amount, and you're supposed to be the, a leader in the fire service, you give up that post. Yeah, you shouldn't be considered a leader if you're not willing to lead. Exactly. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. Well, David, I can't when think. You, um, so go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say, when you mentioned the whole decompression aspect of it, right. um, one of my favorite analogies to discuss is a soda bottle. We could take a soda bottle and we shake it all up and shake it all up and shake it all up. And if we're going to open it, we have to open it nice and slowly because if not, it's going to explode. And human beings are the exact same type. I'm not saying that we're carbonated, but <laughs> we are just to that point of there's only so much that we can endure before we hit that point of it's called critical supersaturation. It's not that important, but we hit that point. And we're just going to explode as a result of it. And we need to do something to relieve that pressure. And if that's, you know, getting together with an old friend and having a couple of drinks and talking about those calls, great. If that's a peer support program where it's like, hey, meet me for a cup of coffee or 
know, firefighters are notoriously cheap. Hey, I'll buy you breakfast. Let's go out and talk. Take right. that person up on that opportunity. Go out, have that conversation with them. Uh, I guess that kind of works as almost a natural segue. You had mentioned in the intro the most recent article uh, that I wrote for Firehouse, which was in the May issue, right. which was really quite fun. Uh, it's on having difficult conversations, and that was kind of the impetus behind a lot of people ask me, hey, I think that there's a behavioral health problem with a colleague, a coworker, my spouse. What do I do? How do I talk to them? And having that direct conversation with them is probably the most appropriate in a vast majority of the cases. But our brains are hardwired to not allow for those things. Uh, the chief that I work with uh, at the NFFF always talks about whenever he hears like, hey, you know, we need to talk or, you know, you get called by your first and your middle name, how we immediately go back into this early childhood mode and we just shrink back into ourselves and we almost feel this fear response. And a lot of that is our brain. It's the amygdala telling us, hey, we're afraid. And somebody comes up to you and goes, hey, I think I'm suicidal or I want to die. We become that little child again. Our brain almost draws back into itself and goes, all right, I have an issue. I'm not 100% sure what's going on. I want to help you, but I don't know how to. So how do we have those difficult conversations? It was actually interesting that the article came out when it did. I'd been writing it. Uh, it was actually the last article that I did for Firehouse prior to Janelle leaving. Um, it was on the heels of another project that I had just finished, which the public safety group, which is Jones and Bartlett Publishing, recently released an application called First Responder Support and Resilience. And you probably remember the old choose your own adventure books. Right. This application is the modern equivalent of a choose your own adventure book, which seems kind of interesting. I remember them growing up. I always used to love them. You would take a look at it and you would choose, you know, you go to page 18 for this outcome and you go to page 44 for this one. And as a kid, we'd flip forward and you would take a look at it and be like, oh, maybe I chose the wrong one. And you would flip back and instead you'd go to page 18 versus 44. This app is it's almost artificial intelligence in origin where it allows you to have and practice those difficult conversations with this simulator where you can make those decisions and you can go down the path of that conversation. And if it doesn't go right, guess what? You can circle back around and do it again and figure out how do I do this? Because in a real-world application, you have one shot to get it right. right. And in some cases, that one shot might mean the difference between life and death. So I was actually very privileged to be included in that. Um, I was able to work on that project for quite a while with them. I saw it come to fruition. It's an amazing application. Uh, it's If you go to their website, psglearning.com, I'm sure you could find it. I don't have the direct link for it off the top of my head. and It's probably really long either way. That was definitely fun. Yeah. You know, it reminded me of, um, there's a very popular veterinarian who's on TV, been on TV for years. He doesn't, he has a large farming community in his area. I remember somebody once said, because he came back from birthing a, a cow, and uh, he was covered in crap. <laughs> and they, you know, and he, even though he had put on that special long glove, he had to do it. And he, somebody asked him, well, how can you do that? How can you be with crap? He said, if I was going to be a veterinarian, that's like the uh, the initial trial. If you're going to be a vet or not, you got to be ready to be knee deep and arm deep in crap if you're going to be a vet. Absolutely. Otherwise, otherwise you don't belong. You don't belong in the field. And you're, right. yeah, you're either going to be all in or all out. Exactly. He said, either you're you're going to be part of it, and and help it along or you just don't belong in that situation and you have to make a change. And I hope that what we've discussed today 
will help any of our listeners who, who might be in that uh, situation where they're not quite sure how they feel and they're not quite sure why they feel what they feel. But the most important thing for them to realize is they're not alone and it's not empty. Uh, there is a large group of people who really do care about you and your welfare. There are uh, many ways to access it, uh, both uh, in your community. Uh, initially, of course, as David mentioned before, you can look towards your minister or, or reverend or rabbi or imam, whoever it is that helps you spiritually. And, you know, hopefully you can find some guidance there. And there are other specialists. And we have people with the NFFF, and especially like in the state of New Jersey, has a great advocate program, advocacy program there with, with David and Tony. Uh, Nick, I think, is still uh, Nick's still a member, right? Yep, Nick's still there. Uh, yeah. John Dixon's our state lead. Right, John Dixon. Doing some great work. Doing some great work. And listen, worse comes to worse. Send it, you know, there's a text that you can you can send, I think it's the word help, to, 74, to 741-741. I believe that's if you send that to 74171, there are people on the other side of that text message who are going to reach out to help you. If you don't have any place else to turn, don't say there is no place. There is at least one place. Use your cell phone and text the word help to 741741. It's on our website uh, as well at www.dalmationproductions.tv. But there are people there, and there are people who care. And don't for a minute think, that there aren't okay you've just especially heard... in today's day and age sorry to cut you off no, and no, especially okay. in today's day and age with we're more comfortable text messaging than we are having face-to-face conversations or talking on the phone anymore right. or maybe you're in an environment where you don't want everyone else listening to your conversation maybe you're in the firehouse and you're having a rough day and you don't want to be talking to somebody on the phone having that text message option is fantastic oh, uh, sure. crisis text messaging nowadays is becoming the new thing and it applies to all of our generations there's still the phone numbers you still have the share the load program where you can call them and be like, hey, I'm a fireman. I want to talk to another firefighter or, hey, I'm a paramedic and I want to talk to a paramedic. And they'll connect you with someone. There's resources out there. It's just a matter of you have to be the one that takes that first step to make that phone call or send that text message. And there's somebody on the other end that's willing to help you, just like in the fire service. If we have to call that mayday, somebody's there to help us. Right. We're going to move mountains to come and get you. Same thing here. Just you have to take that step forward to be able to access those services. Absolutely. So David, again, my sincere thanks for finding a little time in a very busy schedule, hectic schedule. Um, I truly appreciate it. We talked about a subject that a lot of people don't want to talk about, but needs to be spoken about. We need to have discussions. We can't let people hang in the balance because actually that's what happens. It's like being up on that building and you know, we've all seen these rescues from the dish, the uh, window washes and stuff like that. Well, imagine what those guys felt like. Can anybody get to me? Well, you know what? Our tactical teams in cities around this country practice just for that, and they take care of those people. Well, we have the same thing here. We have people who, who have studied and learned and trained to help people who are reaching out for help. And they are there to be there for you. So you, as David just said, you have to take the first step. David, thanks so much. It's been a pleasure to have you again. Uh, I hope we won't have to go so long uh, between the between now and the next time we have you back. 
and uh, great talking. I'd like to hear, you know, again, I really would like to hear more that you can share once you go through these this new class in Denver and some of the other uh, projects that you spoke about uh, earlier on. Thank you very much. I'm looking forward to being back. Thanks very much. Folks, we'll be right back right after these words. Please stay tuned. You are listening to Five Alarm Task Force, news and issues for today's first responders. It's Thursday night, and you're grabbing drinks with some friends. Start it off with a pitcher for the table, which quickly becomes two. There's pool. And there's the photo booth. All right, everybody, squeeze in. Say cheese. Followed naturally by an order of wings. And another. Can we get some extra ranch sauce? Then there's the ceremonial nightcap. So what are we doing this weekend? And lastly, it's back to the car, which, if you're buzzed... ...could be the most expensive night of your life. Getting pulled over for buzz driving could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving, because buzz driving is drunk driving. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Dear John, I was hoping it wouldn't come to this, but you've left me no choice. I'm leaving. Uncontrolled high blood pressure is really serious, and lately you seem to really not care. I've been there for you since day one, and I know you think I'm going to keep ticking. But no, my friend, I can quit whenever I want. Why can't we get back to the good times, when we were more active and ate more healthy foods, and you checked on me every once in a while? Is that too much to ask? I don't want to leave, but unless you stop ignoring me, what else am I supposed to do? Remember, when I quit, you quit. Sincerely, your heart. Listen to your heart. Don't let it quit on you. Doing the minimum to control your high blood pressure isn't doing enough. High blood pressure can lead to a stroke, heart attack, or death. Get your blood pressure to a healthy range before it's too late. Find out how at heart.org slash blood pressure. Check, change, control. A message from the American Heart Association, the American Stroke Association, and the Ad Council. Every year, over a million fires burn in America. Fortunately, firefighters are on the job, saving life and property and you can be a part of it. Seven out of 10 firefighters and emergency responders are volunteers. There's no typical firefighter. Anyone can volunteer to serve their community. Volunteering as a first responder is really about having the heart and drive to make a difference where it's needed most. Your community needs you. Are you ready to answer the call? Learn more and find local volunteer opportunities at makemeafirefighter.org. And that wraps this episode of Five Alarm Task Force, news and issues for today's first responders. I'd like to thank my guest, David Wicklansky, for joining us to discuss the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation and the Behavioral Health Initiative in the fire service. Did you know you can now find us and subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and most podcast platforms? Just search for Five Alarm Task Force. We also want to thank our sponsors, Insight Training LLC and the Firehouse Tribune, and our promotional partners, Dalmatian Productions, Chief Miller Products and Sites, Hennessy Distributing, your source for the cool towel, the Firefighter Cancer Foundation, the Firefighter Cancer Support Network, Nestor Bars, and the 2019 Great Florida Fire School. If you would like to be a guest with us or have a suggestion for a show, please drop us a line to dalmatprod at outlook.com. 
You can follow us on Twitter at DalmatProd or at Cause underscore Origin. And on Facebook at forward slash DalmatProd or DalmatProdFire. And stay up to date with all the news about our podcast, Dalmatian Productions, and our blog on our website at www.dalmatianproductions.tv. I'm Steve Green. Until next time, stay safe, stay well, and let's make sure everyone goes home.